Good morning, everyone. I uh, want to talk this morning about a very confusing topic. Uh, you see the title there, To Judge or Not to Judge. That is the question. Um, how many of you go through life just kind of confused about things, you know, trying to figure things out? And um, Some people seem to have it all together. They just have a clarity about them. And uh, my daughter, Risa, is one of those. She came into my office one day here at, the, at TCF and scribbled this very quickly on my whiteboard. Love the Lord in all your heart, for you'll have eternal life. He loves you more than you deserve. Provolone 916. <laughs> that clarity, you know. She just sees it the way it is. I especially love the line, he loves you more than you deserve. Kind of prophetic, you know. But um, talking about judging, judging can be a very confusing topic. To judge, the word crino is part of a cluster of words that sort of all get at various aspects of judging. For example, judging can... Some of these similar words can mean separate, choose, examine, scrutinize, appraise, condemn, discern, test, or even prove. So depending on what version, English version of the Bible you have, you come across these words. Sometimes it's the word krino, other times it's some other Greek words that have slightly different shades of meaning. Judging is a constant problem in the human heart. How many of you would say, just knowing my own heart, amen to that? Judging is a constant problem in the human heart. Um, in general, the word krino, or to judge, means two, one of two things, to condemn or pass sentence upon. That's what we think about when we heard, hear the word judging or read it in the scriptures. But it can also have a positive meaning, and that is to discern or appraise something. For instance, to decide between two things, which is better, uh, might be an example. F.F. Bruce is a very famous New Testament scholar, and he says that judging is an ambiguous word in English as it is in Greek. It may mean sitting in judgment on people or even condemning them, or it may mean exercising a proper discrimination. In the former sense, judgment is deprecated, but in the latter sense, it is recommended in the New Testament. This is from the hard sayings of Jesus. So here are some questions you might ask yourself as we begin to think about judging in the Bible. Are we to judge people or only what they do? In other words, are we to separate what they do from the person? Are we to examine ourselves, or are we not to examine ourselves? In 1 Corinthians 4, we'll look at a verse where Paul says, I don't even examine myself. But then there's another verse, 2 Corinthians 5.13, where he says, examine yourselves. And so it can be confusing. How do we handle it when people judge us? Are we to defend ourselves, or are we to... Uh, just sort of take the criticism um, and uh, be silent like Jesus was.
before he went to the cross. What did Jesus say about judging? And how do we determine if something is good or bad without using judgment in some way? So these are some of the questions that we might ask as we approach this subject. So in the message this morning, I want to invite you to take or do a Bible study with me about what the Bible says about judging, specifically what Jesus said about judging, then what Paul said about judging, then what the New Testament themes in general are about judging. At the end, I'm going to suggest uh, some conclusions and then a mindset that will keep us safe as we battle this persistent problem of the human heart. So first of all, what did Jesus say about judging? Let's look at some of the verses uh, that uh, he uttered about judging. First of all, John 8:15. he said, you judge according to the flesh, I am not judging anyone. Isn't that interesting that Jesus on the earth took the position that he is not judging anyone? John 3.17, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And then John uh, 12.47, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. By the way, I'm going to move through a lot of scriptures this morning. I don't expect you to keep up with me. Um, if you would like me to uh, email you a, a list of all these scriptures on judging, I'd be happy to do it. Just let me know. John 8:16. Jesus said, Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. So Jesus said, I don't judge anyone. I, I didn't come to judge the world even, but to save the world. But even if I were to judge, he said, my, if I were to judge, my judgment would be true. Let's see. Um, Matthew 7, 1 and 2 is the verse that most of us think of, and it's the, wor the, verse, the couple of verses that the world uh, throws at us when they think we are being judging. And uh, it says, do not judge so that you will not be judged, or lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Luke 6.37 is similar. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. We are not to judge others, according to these verses, and to the degree that we do, we will be judged in turn. By the standard we judge, we will be judged. So not only is this dealing with the act of judging, but how harshly we judge. I think there's a, a warning here about being harsh in our judgment, or stern, or, or overly severe, or hypocritical. And then in John 7:24, judge with righteous judgment. This verse I take to mean have the discernment uh, half rather than the condemning half. Um, Jesus is talking about making a whole man well on the Sabbath here, and he 
says to the Pharisees who are angry at him for doing a miracle on the Sabbath, judge with righteous judgment. Another example is Luke 18, 9 through 14. This is a very famous parable that talks and warns against us considering ourselves better than anybody. This is the, pub, uh, the tax collector and the Pharisee. Let me read it to you. Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said that we need to be careful to judge with righteous judgment. What did Paul say about judging? Well, in Romans 2, 1 through 3, he said this. Listen to these stern words. This is right after he talks about uh, many sins. He lists many sins. Homosexuality is one of them. But lest we get too uppity or think that we are better than anyone, he goes on to say, therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will uh, escape the judgment of God. His whole argument in Romans 2 and 3 is that all of us are guilty before God. Not one of us is righteous, is Paul's argument. And he culminates that in chapter 3, verse 23, where he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're not to judge others because we are all guilty before God. Now, in the next couple verses, we see a shift, though, and that is that we are to judge sinful behavior, and we are to judge behavior in general. In other words, behavior is what indicates to us the fruit of a life. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, this is a passage about immorality where Paul is upbraiding the Corinthian church because they are tolerating a man in their midst who is sleeping with his father's wife. Listen to how Paul talks about judging this man. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your, your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. 
in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In the very next chapter, there are, there's a discussion about um, some of the Corinthians have uh, lawsuits against other members of the Corinthian church, and Paul exhorts them to set up someone in the body to judge between the members rather than go to a civil law court out in secular society. And I would say that every one of, of the elders and many of the house church pastors have been in this position where people have come to us and said in some way or another, I need you to decide a matter between me and a brother or me and a sister. And uh, we will do whatever you say. And uh, we, in that essence, judge or discern between the two people's positions. So it is okay to judge behavior. Then in Romans 14, we read, don't judge others believer, other believers in non-essential matters. Let me read a few portions from that chapter of Romans. This is Romans 14. 1 through 4, and then 10, and then 13. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Isn't that a beautiful passage uh, about not judging each other in non-essentials? Verse 10 says, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then verse 13, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And so we have people who have convictions about how we should worship, about how we treat holidays as Christians, about whether we drink beer or not. We have all kinds of uh, whether we eat a plant-based diet or, or a meat-based diet, we have these kinds of issues even today. And the scriptures are saying, don't judge each other in these non-essential matters. And then in 1 Corinthians 4 and Colossians 2.16, the scripture, Paul deals with how do we handle it when we're being judged, when other people judge us. And his exhortation is to not overly fret about it. And this one is easier said than done, isn't it? How many of you just, it eats your lunch when, uh, and you lose sleep when somebody is mad at you and judging you and misunderstanding you? Anybody like that? It, it just is very difficult to walk this out. Um, and nevertheless, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 3. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. 
In this case, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. How many of you have that verse memorized? I, I know I do. Uh, especially the words, it is a very small thing. And so I wake up in the morning and I think of that awful situation where somebody is, uh, is uh, offended by me and they let me know and, and, uh, and it's just like a cloud over me. I wake up in the night, I think about it, and so I think of this verse. It is a very small thing. It is a very small thing. Lord, let it be a very small thing. Why is it such a big thing? You know, praying it over and over. It's a very small thing. Um, then look at uh, Colossians 2.16. Um, or at least I'll read it to you. And make of this what you will. But Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So therefore, let no one act as your judge. Well, I'm not sure how you walk that out. Again, does it mean you just kind of let it roll off your back and it doesn't affect you much, or does it mean that you speak up and defend yourself and tell that brother to stop judging you and get off your back? But uh, anyway, there it is for you, for you to figure out. Romans 14.22 is one that I've also memorized uh, recently, and this is a beautiful verse. I would recommend that you uh, ponder this verse as you Think about these non-essentials in your life. Um, it says this, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Isn't that a beautiful verse? And again, you're not going to be able to please everybody as you walk out your Christian life. Uh, you're going to have to take stands. Uh, for the gospel or for the poor. I remember, Mike, when you took a stand for the poor in a particular situation and you received all kinds of heat. And uh, I mentioned this last time that when you take a stand, when you, set up, when you set a boundary, don't expect people to roll out the red carpet for you. Uh, you can't make everybody happy all the time as you walk out your convictions, but you can be in a place where you don't condemn yourself because of something that you have approved. All right, well, what about the New Testament in general? One of the great themes of the New Testament is that there is only one righteous judge. Amen? Can you say amen with me on that one? There is only one righteous judge. Fear and revere him. We talk about having an audience of one. Again, that's tougher, uh, more tough to do than, than to say. For example, when, you, when I preach, sometimes I have to get you, certain ones of you, out of my head. 
I have because I'm thinking, oh, what's Jim Price going to think at that point? Oh man, he's going to he's going to roast me later about that one. And so I have to say, no, I have an audience of one. I have to be obedient, like Sue Sue's word. I have to be obedient to what the Lord is telling me to say, regardless of my anticipated anxiety about who will disagree or who will agree. So we have one righteous judge, fear and revere him. James 4.12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Romans 14.10, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And Matthew 10, 28. Don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So one righteous judge, fear and revere him. A second very persistent theme in the New Testament is examine yourself rather than others. Spend your time, if you're going to examine someone, examine yourself uh, more than others. Let's, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29 is a verse about how we come before the Lord's table, and it uses the word examine in the New American Standard Bible. It says this, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. Let me give you a little context here. The Corinthians were using the communion table for feasting and for getting drunk. Some, they weren't waiting on each other. They weren't approaching the table reverently as the body and blood of Christ. So the, the main emphasis of this passage is about the manner in which you approach the communion table, that you should approach the communion table with sobriety and with reverence and with humility. And uh, that's the main emphasis of that verse. But it also can mean and does mean to examine your walk before the Lord. Examine your work, your deeds. Make sure you are the real deal. And where you aren't, confess that and repent. And then remember the Lord's death and its benefits to you. So that's what this word examine yourself in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight is talking about. Is examine your walk. Another word that English word that kind of captures the meaning is scrutinize yourself. Scrutinize yourself. Then in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we read, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself, or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. In this verse, um, the emphasis is strive to test your faith. Make sure that your faith is battle-tested and reliable and genuine. Um, have you ever wondered 
about the Lord's Prayer where it says, uh, lead us not in te into temptation, but deliver us from evil? And have you ever thought about James 2.13 that says, God doesn't tempt or test anyone? And so, um, well, let me get that verse exactly. Uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. I said, I use the word test, but I, I'm not sure I'm on solid ground there. The Lord may test us. But as far as tempting, he doesn't tempt us, right? According to this verse. So why did Jesus say, lead us not into temptation, as if God leads us into temptation? Um, what that verse means, according to F.F. F. Bruce, is, Lord, help me pass every test of faith. Help me pass the tests that come my way. So it's not saying, uh, sometimes you lead in me, you might, you might be tempted to lead me into temptation, Lord, so don't lead me into temptation, please. It doesn't mean that. It means help me pass every test of faith just as in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 here. Another theme is we're to we are to discern good from evil, amen? Knowing we have the mind of Christ. Let's look at Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Solid food is for the mature. Now listen to this line. Who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, we read, examine everything carefully. One old saint said, I am not a judge, but I am a fruit inspector. Isn't that cute? I am not a judge, but I am a fruit inspector. I am called to inspect fruit. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16 says, we appraise all things, but are appraised by no man. Let me read the fuller context of that because this is a fascinating section of scripture. Listen to this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Now listen to this. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. He who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So what is that saying? That the spiritual man can appraise or judge, it says in the King James Version, everything, but he himself is judged by no man. He himself cannot be appraised 
by anyone. I think J. Vernon McGee, I like his, his take on this. He just simply substitutes the word understands. And he says that the spiritual man understands all things, but is understood by no one. And I have to say, I think that's true. That um, to, the, to, the, to the degree that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, um, people don't understand the basis on which we are making a lot of decisions. It's easy to comprehend why the world doesn't understand us. But even our brothers and sisters, I've, I've um, being part of the elders council, there have been many occasions where one of the brothers has uh, said something or taken a position that I've thought, that's nuts. What are, what are you thinking? And uh, yet, as the, the brother uh, opens up his heart and his mind as to why he's taking the position he's taking, I discern that his view is better than my view. And uh, it, we surprise each other, even, with the mind of Christ at work within us. Isn't that fascinating? How many of you can say, I, I've had a similar situation like that, where one of my brothers or sisters took a position, and I thought it was nuts. And, and, and then, all of a sudden, you know, I realize it's very profound and very spiritual. Anybody other than me? Yeah, many of you. Okay. Now, it's not in the New Testament, but I also really uh, like what David said in Psalm 119, 98 through 100. David was radically committed to the Lord, wasn't he? And to the word of God. Psalm 119 is just an ode uh, to the word of God. And in that section, he says this. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. And so David, even though technically he didn't have the mind of Christ, because he had the word of God and he was so committed to it, he said he had more wisdom and insight and understanding than his enemies, his teachers, and the aged. Isn't that beautiful? So with the mind of Christ, we have an incredible advantage in discernment and understanding of reality and what's really going on. Okay, so now conclusion time. What can we and what are we to judge? Very simply, I want to say that it, it appears to me that we are to judge three things. Behavior, doctrine. We haven't really, really read any verses about doctrine, so we'll read a few of those. And also, in Matthew 7, we read that we are to gauge the fruit and the fruitfulness of other people's lives, aren't we? Do you remember that passage? We'll, We'll look at a few of these. Um, let's look at the ones under doctrine. We are no longer to be children. This is Ephesians 4.14, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. 
by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And in Jude, verse 3, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. And then in Matthew 7, we read about this. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then later down, he says, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. So behavior, we can judge. Doctrine, we can judge. And fruitfulness, or the lack thereof, or bad fruit, we can also judge. But what are we not to judge? Number one, people's motives. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. And so we're to suspend judgment, aren't we? We're to suspend judgment of people's motives and wait until the Lord comes. Again, we see that we are not to judge other believers' non-essential convictions in Romans 14. And then we are not to um, deem our standing before God as advantaged because of anything that we have done. Certainly, we have an advantage in Christ, don't we? And he has seated us in heavenly places. He saved us by his blood. He has filled us with his spirit. Uh, we're going to judge angels. We're going to judge the world. And so we have an incredible advantage, but not because of anything we have done, but by his grace. Amen? And so let me read. This is one of the last verses. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who regards you as superior, and what do you have that you did not receive? If you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And so this leads us into um, what I believe is an antidote for judging, what I believe is a mindset that will keep us from this pernicious uh, part of the human nature. This is from Ephesians 2, and it's a mindset of grace. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. How many of you would agree, I was dead in my trespasses and sins? Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And as I say this, I can remember Brother Bill years ago saying, but God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing 
riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then I've put this in bold, for by grace we have been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result that no one should boast. I want to pray for any of us who really struggle, or maybe because of a recent hurt or a recent uh, grief, have been struggling not to judge, and you need some help. Um, I, I, I believe that every one of us is guilty of this sin. Every one of us is guilty of judging. Um, otherwise, we become like that Pharisee who says, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I don't judge people. Uh, and yet, even in that, you're judging. And so, I would like to first pray for any who feel like, I just, I, I really battle this particular issue, sin, and I want some help. I know it'll take some nerve to stand up, but would you stand up where you are and let us just pray for you and uh, believe God that he will give you a great grace to move forward in your most holy faith. And then when we're done praying for them, I would like to pray for all of us um, to adopt this mindset of grace that uh, will keep us from judging uh, harshly or, or prematurely or hypocritically. So would you join me praying for these who are standing? Father, thank you for these precious saints who are standing and saying, being very vulnerable, Lord, and saying, I need help with this uh, part of me that wants to pass sentence on people and tell people how to live and, uh, and, and condemn them. Father, in your mercy, as these are stepping out and saying, help me, Lord, we ask that you would divinely touch and set them free. Father, that... Um, somehow you would impart a new, powerful mindset of grace to them. We can't help but think of the saying, there but by the grace of God go I. And so, Lord, thank you for these who are standing. We believe that because they have taken a stand for you, a public stand, that you will answer and bless them. Thank you, Father. Thank you, in Jesus' name. And now let's just all perhaps uh, stand or raise our hand and let's just agree together. Lord, we ask that we would be a loving and merciful church that is well-trained in how to discern good from evil, that we would stand for the truth, but we would also be very, very reticent to judge Lord, uh, we would walk in grace, the grace in, in which we stand. We pray there would be no boasting in our hearts, Lord. There'd be no arrogance. The only boasting would be in Jesus Christ and the gift 
that he has given us through his death and resurrection. We ask for true humility. We ask for a spirit of repentance to be upon us. And Lord, we do ask your forgiveness for those places where we've judged and we've judged in the wrong, the condemning way. Uh, Forgive us for those times where we've, and even in the future when we are tempted to think we're better than someone else. We pray, Lord, your spirit would, would draw us up short and remind us of the grace that is found in Jesus Christ and how you warned those who trusted in themselves uh, and said, judge with righteous judgment. So, Father, we just uh, lay ourselves before you, knowing that we need you over and over and over again in our lives. Thank you for the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. And we do just surrender our hearts and our minds afresh to you and ask you to move us forward in our most holy faith, Lord. And we'll be certain to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.